0: we can uh, take a lot of inspiration from our engineering friends in uh, this department i think engineering is always like uh, at least a few years ahead uh, in any in any companies because they are usually the first people to start uh, working at a startup and you you will always see that how engineering matures they would put a lot of emphasis on documentation and how they have these processes made uh, rituals and different meetings and uh, you can always take a lot of inspiration from them, because slowly you would also be going into that, uh, uh, into that direction as a design team.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to Design Drugs, where we explore why, how and what design and designers are driving forward. The mission is to interview the most forward-thinking designers and innovative creators on the planet to inspire and help you to reach your full creative potential as a designer and to drive a positive impact in the world. In the episode, I chat with Dashan Gaja, head of design at GraphCMS, a growing startup based in Berlin. And he's also the creator of Product Disrupt, which is a popular newsletter and website for design resources, links to the best design blogs, the best podcasts, the best resources, and also a really great newsletter for advancing yourself as a designer. With Tashan, we talk about what it means to join an early stage startup as a designer, as he joined GraphCMS as the founding designer, what it means to grow together with the team and the company as a designer, and what kind of challenges come ahead as you work in such an environment. We also learn why and how you can use the power of online education and inspiration online to advance yourself as a designer using good resources and online programs. I hope you enjoy the episode. All right. We are here with Darshan Gotchra. Thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot, Sebastian, for having me here. Really glad to be here.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So for people to set some context, so you are head of design at Graph CMS, which is a startup based in Berlin, just have been going to some rounds of funding, which I think is very impressive. And you have been also uh, the maker and um, founder and host of uh, the newsletter and website called Product Disrupt, which I am a fan of. Uh, Since a long time and I think you're doing some really amazing work there. Uh, We're going to make sure for the people interested in to link this in the description. But I think what would be really great before we're going to go into talking about your experience working as a designer in a startup, seeing that experience from, you know, as the startup is scaling, talking about uh, product disruption, talking about the the education aspect, it would be really great, uh, Dashan, if you could give the audience a bit of context about yourself, talking a little bit about your journey. And uh, yeah, just to set some context for the audience. Yeah, sure
0: thing. And uh, first of all, uh, thanks a lot, Sebastian, for the kind words. It's always great to see that people uh, around the world uh, find your content useful. Little bit about me. Uh, So my name is Darshan. I'm a designer and maker uh, currently living in Berlin, Uh, but I'm originally from Mumbai, India, and I moved to Berlin about two years ago. So, I currently head design here at GraphCMS. Uh, GraphCMS is a GraphQL native headless uh, content management system uh, which allows uh, companies of all sizes to host and uh, scale their content uh, across all platforms. And apart from this, I also run a side project called as Product Disrupt, which is a curated list of resources to learn uh, product design from the internet and absolutely for free. Uh, it also has a newsletter, which I've been running for about four and a half years. So the newsletter goes out every two weeks, uh, where I do the curation of uh, free resources uh, to learn design or create your own digital products, and also to get uh, design inspiration.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. Um, I think what would may be maybe interesting to to give people some context. I mean, you have been designing in India uh, for some time now, then moved to Germany, of uh, course, working at first working at uh, Contentful and uh, now at Graph uh, CMS. If you look back at the uh, the work that you were doing, um, so do you have any sort of particular project um, that you maybe had in the past where you really had the feeling that you can have a positive impact through your work as a designer?
0: Yeah, there's one project that comes to my mind. Uh, So before moving to Berlin, I worked as a consultant for about three years. And working as a consultant, I got the opportunity to work with uh, customers uh, from all literally all parts of the world. So I had people that I was working with uh, who were from UAE, UK, uh, Canada, Australia, uh, US and India, of course. So there was this one client of mine uh, called Sapat. Uh, They are a food tech company based in Dubai. Uh, They have their presence in uh, the whole of Middle East, but they're headquartered in Dubai. And uh, I've had a long uh, working relationship with them of about two years. I worked with them on multiple projects, but there was this one project in particular which was very fascinating to me. Uh, So uh, what they were trying to do is they were trying to build a system called a kitchen display system and uh, kitchen display system or KDS, like how people in restaurants would call it. Uh, A kitchen display system is is like a screen or an interface which is placed inside a kitchen, uh, which is used by the people working inside the kitchen. Uh, So people like the chefs or uh, order fulfillers, Uh, they use the screen to see what are the orders that they have to fulfill, uh, the meals that they have to start preparing. And it's also used by the uh, restaurant staff, like waiters and managers, uh, who would then pick up these orders and uh, deliver to the customers on the table. So it was a very interesting uh, product to work on because uh, the very first thing was that I had to design an interface. For a TV screen, because it, it it could be something which would just be hung on a wall, and the screen could be quite large. And people working in the kitchen, they are not really uh, people sitting in a comfy chair and uh, working on their uh, fancy computer screens. It's just a display, and it could also be the display could also be used on a iPad or on a tablet. So I'd not I'd never designed for this kind of uh, devices. And the way that we started working on this project was uh, we did like a, we did like a campaign of user research where I actually went to Dubai and started talking to all of these people working inside a restaurant. Uh, And I, and I talked to people uh, from different categories of restaurant, like a quick service restaurant, a fine dine restaurant or a regular dining restaurant. And uh, going over there and seeing these people in their uh, real environment, seeing how things actually work inside the kitchen, uh, uh, seeing how things work inside a restaurant, it was quite an uh, eye-opening experience. And uh, I obviously enjoyed my time talking to them and came back uh, with a lot of learnings about the restaurant industry. I had no idea about, uh, about how people work in the restaurant before that. so. I could also see that this is a real problem that they have. So uh, a KDS is essentially a replacement of a a traditional uh, assembly line uh, way of working. So what usually happens in uh, restaurants is that when you enter a restaurant and you order something, uh, the waiter would take uh, an order from you. Now imagine if the waiter is taking an order on a smartphone or on a tablet, uh, they would then just press a button and there would be a printer inside the kitchen. Uh, they get a they get a printout out of it. It's called KOT. And they take that printout and they put it on an assembly line. And that is how they start, and that is how they know what are the orders that they have to prepare. It's kind of automated, saves a lot of time, and makes it efficient. But then it's printers. Uh, come on, who loves printers? Uh, I mean, you you might disagree because Germans are known to love their paper. But the rest of the world, it's it's quite difficult to work with printers. And there's a lot of cost associated with it because it's a primitive technology. Something goes wrong. You can't really fix it. It doesn't give you much other than just uh, this KOD. You can't really measure anything over there. So KDS is essentially a replacement of that, replacing the printers with a digital system. And once you have that, then you can obviously also measure efficiency. And uh, there are a lot of features that you can add to it. So I saw that they had this real problem that they were trying to solve. And uh, you can also say that it is something that could be considered as the uh, bread and butter of their business, because that's how the main part of the business is going to function. So seeing that was very use, uh, useful to me. And I am I'm a creator at heart. I've always uh, loved creating things. And when I create something and I see that people uh, use it to solve their problems, Uh, the feeling that I get from that is very dear to me. So I really enjoyed going through this whole journey. And then we also creating the product later on. I'll I'll cut it short, but after we designed the product, it actually became a standout success for them. It allowed the business to, it allowed the company to diversify that business into a few more countries. And, uh, uh, the business also generated a lot of revenue from it. So that means the product was successful and I, I take some pride into that. And I also, uh, really am very fond of those memories.
1: Yeah. I can imagine that's a nice thing about working as a designer. Sometimes that you can immerse yourself into different areas where you're not actually the expert in, and that's okay. Because being not the expert helps people to ask questions that, that, you know, sometimes are stupid, but sometimes drive actually innovation by coming with a, with a different lens to the topic, you know, so, uh, and at the same time, of course, I think what you are highlighting here is, you know, obviously it was about the personal impact you had on the user. And at the same time, obviously, if you can drive some business impact with that as well, that also, and it's a commercial um, success, this obviously also makes you good as a designer. So definitely, I think a great, great story and example. Um, talking about product disrupt uh, for a little bit. So, you know, I think the overarching topic being here, education and inspiration for designers. What was sort of the, the vision for you or sort of, um, you know, how did it all start out for you? Did, was it somehow like a pain point for you to find a good resource for for that type of content online and started to create yourself? Or how did it all start out for you? And what do you have maybe, uh, uh, what do you have as a vision for product disrupt?
0: Yeah, you are spot on with it. Uh, I was just trying to solve my own problem. Uh, so let me uh, give you a little bit of context and let me take you a few years back. I, I studied engineering, uh, computer engineering. So that is what I am professionally a computer engineer. And uh, the way that I taught myself design was by uh, going online. And there are a lot of people online uh, who create a lot of uh, good stuff. So you can you can you can read blogs, uh, you can read case studies where people describe what they created and what was the process that they followed. Then there are podcasts like this, and then there's YouTube channels and newsletters. There's so much out there. Mm-hmm. So I was always looking for uh, content over there and that is how I taught myself design. And once I became a designer, You can imagine that I still come from an engineering background. So most of my friends, they were engineers. And this is the the year would be 2015. Design was not really a thing in India. So a lot of people still did not have any idea about what design is. And even now, uh, a lot of people like it's not a it's not a very well established industry yet. So what used to happen is I used to constantly get questions from my friends that what is it that you do as a designer? Uh, What does your day-to-day look like? And then also some people were also interested uh, seeing how I'm progressing in my career. So they used to ask me that how can they also become a designer? And I used to always give them the same answers. I used to share them the resources that I was following. And then one day I just got an idea that you know, people have been asking me this repetitive questions. Why not I just put all of these resources into a website? So it's just like creating a list. And I already had those resources, so the groundwork had already been done. I just had to share it. I had to find a way that people could access it. So I thought I would just make a simple website. And it was like a very simple job. I, I took like a week's time. Uh, I got a framework, customized it, customized the design of it, and put all the resources over there. And to my surprise, a friend of mine uh, launched it on Product Hunt. And after putting it on Product Hunt, it became the product of the day. And you can imagine if something becomes a product of the day, it might get a lot of traffic. And the community of Product Hunt is also very nice. Day. They're kind of the opposite of hacker news. Uh, they, they give you a lot of positive feedback and they are very constructive that way. And uh, I got a lot of suggestions from them. A lot of people reached out to me uh, saying that it was useful to them. Mm-hmm. And from there, I also got the idea of starting a newsletter. So there was this one guy, he wrote in the comment that if there was a newsletter where uh, he could get fresh resources curated by me, he would love uh, reading that. And then I just started Googling, what is a newsletter? And then I came across MailChimp and I just started doing it because like, you know, I always like learning new things. So first it was trying to solve my own problem. And then one thing led to another. And then now it became like, it has become like a big newsletter.
1: Mm -hmm. No, this is great. And I think, um, I think you put in some work to keeping it fresh because that's the thing with um, you know, creating this knowledge basis that sometimes they fall out of, um, accuracy or they're not up to date anymore. So I think that's, uh, good that you, you put in that work and I think it's, it's a great resource and a cool, cool story. I think the best designs often come from solving your own problems. <laughs> and obviously if you can connect as a designer yourself to the problem you're solving, that I think is always, always great, um, if you would think about maybe your, I think you, So what's maybe for people so they know a little bit more about Prior Disrupt. You basically have different categories in there. So you have books, you have podcasts, you have uh, designers, you have blogs, and so on. So if you think maybe about, uh, if you think about these resources that you have, I know that it's difficult maybe for you to pick. But if you have to pick like a couple of really good resources, but maybe specifically around books and blogs maybe, uh, are there specific ones that you would recommend to our audience? Because we can l- link them to a description and for the audience.
0: Yeah, uh, so it's, uh, it's definitely would be hard to pick uh, because I follow them, all of them quite regularly. Uh, I've not allowed peer pressure to get in there to just add things. I actually follow them on a regular basis. You might find those resources, uh, different resources to be useful at different stages of your career. Mm -hmm. I can tell you what I take, uh, what are my favorite ones right now. Mm -hmm. So there's this newsletter called Dense Discovery. Uh, It's not really a design newsletter, but it's more like a newsletter where you get to discover new products. And uh, the guy who runs the newsletter, he's also German by the way, but he lives in uh, Australia. And he has been doing this for I think, more than a decade, and mm-hmm. the the quality of those resources over there is just so good, it's very fresh. I always get like hidden gems uh, from there. And he also uh, the way that he writes the newsletter and delivers it is also very uh, unique. like it's it's, I think my number one newsletter that I always open.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's one. Uh, second in terms of uh, blog. Uh, this blog called UX Collective or uh, the domain is actually uxdesign.cc mm-hmm. and uh, they, uh, I think it's run by a group of four to five people and I think they're from Italy uh, they also create a lot of uh, good resources uh, and uh, like they have the newsletter where they would feature tools and articles and then they also have a blog where they Uh, on a weekly basis they would write articles it's also crowdsourced other people can also contribute to it but then there are also original articles written by the editors Uh, those are the ones usually that i always want to read their content is just very fresh and very relevant it's it's not like uh it's not like uh content from some dated design magazine who claim to be like the design experts it's just very fresh uh so i really like that I I can't really give you much recommendations in terms of books because I'm not really a book person. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recently had just tweeted this, that I read zero books in uh, 2021. And I think most years in my life, I don't read many books. Uh, I I like to consume my content through uh, short form uh, mediums, like uh, reading a blog or newsletters or listening to podcasts and things like this. it just feels very uh, natural to me. Like I can consume the short form content and I can also apply it to my life. Uh, so, sorry, I don't have many book recommendations.
1: <laughs> and that is all good. I'm also actually not reading so many books. I'm usually audio consuming books, um, I'm usually uh, while doing something else. But um, no, I think the resources you're sharing, I, I know uh, actually both of them, I think they're really um, now valuable. So I think uh, we're going to definitely put this into the description. If you think about new content, so how do you usually find new content? Um, what would be the, the or new rows resources? How do you usually do that?
0: So I have this table that I maintain on notion. Uh, this is where I would uh, put in all the resources. Uh, Notion is like my uh, Mm. lifeline. I use Notion to manage my life basically. And I manage the entire product based upon Notion. So what I do is I have this table always there inside Notion. And I'm I'm constantly uh, surfing web. Uh, The good thing is that me as a designer uh, it's also a part of my jo- job to keep myself up to date and uh, keep on learning new things so i would naturally look out for a lot of resources related to design so i'm subscribed to a lot of these newsletters that i've mentioned on product disrupt uh, there are many other places as well that i subscribe to uh, different youtube channels and blogs and uh, uh, twitter is a great place where i get a lot of recommendations so usually i take uh, things from there uh, i would only add those resources to the list if i if i personally uh, see some value into it or if i have given it a try and uh, i keep on adding it in the table and after uh, after every 2 weeks that is when i start writing my newsletter i would then sit down and look at all those uh, links that I've cre- i have curated and from those links i would pick the top 10 and uh, add it to the newsletter.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. To, keep, to store all of your findings at one place. Um, I think that's sometimes difficult. Uh, I had to be honest. There are good apps for that. Like Pocket, for example. You can do Notion. But um, I notice myself sometimes storing some stuff there and storing some stuff there. Then it, it gets lost very easily. So uh, that's definitely a good method. To have like one place where you can collect all of your findings, right? Um, yeah, and yeah. one thing that you
0: mentioned about things getting lost, uh, that always happens if you're using uh, many tools. So one way that I try to make sure that I, uh, these things are very accessible to me is that, uh, notion is great because it also works in web and it also has its application. Yeah. I usually use it on web, uh, the, uh, the, the tab where I have to add this links, the table or the page. It is always open in one tab on my browser and also it's there on my phone. So whenever I come across a link, all I have to do is just copy and paste it over there. Uh, I might review it later, but at least I want to capture that. And the whole process of capturing that and putting it in a central repo should should be very frictionless. So that is what I've tried to do with this.
1: Yeah, yeah. no, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Talking about your experience at GraphCMS, I think what would be interesting or what's interesting actually for the, for the audience is maybe that you started there out when you were the first designer and now the team has actually grown and you have actually a small team even, um, in the, in the design area. So I think, um, you know, probably, you know, a lot of designers in the audience are looking to either join a startup or working at a startup and maybe you can share some light on that. Uh, What was your experience sort of like working as a designer in a small startup and kind of seeing it scale towards, you know, different founding rounds, etc. And what could people expect working in in such an environment? Uh,
0: So I joined GraphCMS as a founding designer, uh, which means that I was the first to join. Uh, When I joined, the size of the team was about 22 people. And now we are already 56, so we have more than doubled our team size uh, just in one and a half year. One thing is that uh, I've always enjoyed working in smaller teams and it just confirmed, like working at GraphCMS, it just confirmed that this is what I really enjoy. Uh, some things that you really need to keep in mind when you're joining a smaller startup is that uh, you you might be expected to do a bit of everything so it's really a role for a generalist. Uh, and yeah, you can be like a T-shaped designer where you where you have some specialties and uh, that would depend upon what the startup is really looking for. I think all the startups, they are going to expect you to do a bit of everything And uh, I actually enjoy that. It really keeps me uh, motivated to do my work. I kind of get very bored if I'm doing the same thing over and over again. So be able to do a lot of different things. Of of course, the end-to-end design, which means that you do UX, user research, uh, user interviews, and uh, UI, sometimes even prototyping. Uh, You you also have to do the QA while working with the engineers because... uh, there's a chance that working in a startup, you might not have a dedicated QA person. So being able to contribute to all of this, and then also being involved in the product management uh, part of the things where you are shaping up the problems and doing the problem discovery, uh, all of that is going to be very crucial. And uh, it is actually something that is expected out of you. And for things like... uh, I don't think you need to be very talented uh, illustrator or an icon designer uh, because in startups, you can mostly use a lot of uh, uh, open uh, open source resources that are available out there for illustrations and icons. So there are a few things that you can always manage with. And then the other thing is that for startups, it's always uh, very important uh, to ship things uh, and the, their processes might also not be very mature. So you're working in ve- you're working very closely with the people that you work with and uh, shipping things is very important getting things uh, out there in the hands of the uh, uh, real users, getting feedback from them and you can always iterate. That's the beauty of digital products, right? It's not like print where once it's done, you can't really do anything about it. Uh, with digital products you can always uh, keep on iterating on it. Uh, so startups really prioritize that because they also have uh, they, they might also be going for a product market fit. They might have to have good uh, revenue numbers so that they can raise the new round of funding. So there are all these things which would impact uh, your work and then you can't really say that, you know, uh, I'm not getting to follow the end-to-end design process or this is not how they taught me things at school. It, it might it might not be the case. And to be honest, I don't think every project needs uh, you to go through the end-to-end, uh, like a textbook design process. Every product, every pro- project is kind of unique in its own way. Uh, I think your ability as a designer is really identifying when you have to do certain things. In some cases, when uh, when the problem is not clear, you are trying to do some sort of innovation. Uh, it might be very important to do problem discovery, spend a lot more time over there. So talking to the users, or trying to understand their problem, doing a lot of research work. Uh, and in some cases you might be just doing something which your competitors have already done. And it's more like a need of the hour. and uh, it's not really like an innovation, but it has to be that it's like table stakes. Uh, and it could also be something that have been solved repetitively. In that case, it's more about execution. You just have to go out there and get it done. In that case, uh, spending a lot of time in problem discovery, I don't think that would be a smart choice. And I think as a designer, you have to make those calls. So I would say working in a startup, you have to, you have to be fast. You have to be lean. All they say about startups, like how uh, hard and fast it is, it's true. And that would also apply to design. It's not that all the other people in the company are Uh, working in a very fast-paced environment because it's a startup and then design is like, hey, no, this is not how things work in design. You can't do that, right?
1: I absolutely agree. Also to your point that, you know, I think one of the things that I think you learn as a designer over time is like, what's the right method or what's the right focus for what time, you know? And I think you have to call these shots, right? There is no... There, there is obviously the design uh, process, like it is uh, maybe in the in the textbooks or a learning book. But yeah, the reality sometimes is that you just have to understand like what is most critical now, and like like execute that and and you know uh, uh, define a process for the problem you're trying to solve, right? And the the, pro- the process might be d- different every time, um, depending on what you're trying to solve, and you, maybe you have to invent new processes, right? um uh, that are maybe inspired by 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 ones you have been learning about so yeah i think um staying flexible i think would be probably another one right probably in your environment that um you have to constantly adjust and 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 uh, i think that what it makes it maybe also exciting thinking about and i think another thing that is interesting in a in a startup Specifically, maybe the ones that uh, you are working on, uh, working with, you know, B two B clients, right? Where you have a B two B SIS product. So, if you have work in a startup, like the the ways to the different departments are not too long, right? <laughs> so, like there's actually you know the people who are kind of managing stuff, right? And I think specifically in the in the early startup. You're learning from you're obviously starting to do some sales, some business development, right? And then you're gonna you can do obviously user research yourself, right? You, you do that maybe on the UX level where you're trying to understand what is the user problem, like like how do you solving it. But what I learned is that you know when you do that, you're still gonna have a learning process afterwards. So you put out the product, and then actually you start to market your product, and then you're gonna have additional learnings, right? Because like the sales team talks to different people, or the business development team, they, they try to, uh, you know, bring the pr- product to the market, and they, st- they constantly learn as well. And the, the design process gets get sort of driven by two things, I think. One is the own user research that you can do, but the other thing is also all the things you learn on the market front. And I, I could imagine, or uh, I assume, like in a, in a startup like you, you you can you can build that bridge to the sales and marketing team very closely because, you know, it's not a whole different different departments, a whole different department and like a complex structure, you know, the people in the team probably, is there any kind of learning you made on that? Or would you agree maybe that there are a lot of learnings coming from that side?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one good thing that we do in our company is that uh, we try to keep things very transparent. And we are a remote company. So we obviously have to pay a lot of attention towards documentation. A lot of times we get a lot of, uh, we learn a lot of new things from our customer success team, uh, uh, then our sales team, and uh, of course, the product team. So what happens is that, uh, and all of these teams, they would have different ways of working. Uh, so customer success. uh they they do a lot of writing, like they would always be on customer calls and they would get a lot of notes from there. And then they would share that uh, uh, publicly in Slack or maybe create a wiki in Notion. So it's always useful to get those insights from them uh, because they also, as you mentioned, they are focusing on different things. Uh, they have different priorities. So the kind of opinions that we get from them uh, is obviously going to be quite different and then in terms of sales what we do internally is that we use this tool called gong which helps us uh, record the calls and uh, also get the trans- transcription so as a product team we can also, also always look into that and see uh what are the things that people are talking about in the calls uh and and sales is always going to ask uh the questions about you know this very pinpointed questions that uh, would make them buy uh, our product like they have some specific needs and uh, the re- the reason why they are willing to spend the money which means that we have something that they really want and we can always double down on those things so it's very useful to get those insights and uh, uh as you rightly mentioned we try we and we also do our own research so this is uh this is the data that we get from different teams and uh the way that we would do our research is that uh we Recently, we have set up a user panel, uh, which is like a volunteer program where people from uh, the community or the users that use our product, uh, they volunteer to spend some of their time to give us feedback, uh, to participate in user interview calls. Uh, they can also do like alpha beta testing. And uh, we get this because we have a very active community on Slack. Uh, and our product is used by a lot of developers and developers are usually very active. So uh, when when we have uh, uh, something to discuss in particular, like working on a particular feature and we want to run a campaign, we can start talking to those people around those areas. Uh, One example could be editorial experience. The other example could be onboarding experience. So then we can dive deeper into those things. So getting insights from all these different places always helps uh and this is this is how we would like to do things
1: mm-hmm. and it it totally makes sense and i think you're giving a couple of good pointers there also in terms of tools, how how you're using it and how, how do you try to manage the relationship considering the fact that you are you're head of design now at that startup and you already said like you're gonna you're hiring uh, designers um uh, you also talked about the importance of generalist you know, and I think very often, uh, you know, people say like in you know, the beginning it's about generalists and then it's about specialists later on, um, how do you try to grow the design team and evangelize design within the company, uh, both on the role of design, uh, but then also when it comes to, uh, you know, building the resource into team.
0: Yeah. Uh, so there are, uh, two parts to your question. Uh, I can start with the part about, uh, how do we evangelize design? Uh, one thing that really helps is that making your work transparent and making it visible. Uh, so what we do is uh, we have a design weekly on every Monday, where we uh, where it's a time for us to reflect upon the things that we did in the last week, and the plan and plan the things that we want to do this week. And uh, we do a meeting in the design team, uh, but all of those notes are also there inside Notion, and after the meeting, it gets uh, shared in the uh, relevant channels. And other people can also look into it So, and they can always uh, see what people are working on. And uh, from there, they can also get links to the actual files. So we use Figma and Figma is also open to all of the people in the company. At any point, they can go there, they can provide feedback, leave comments, add suggestions. So that makes the work very visible. And it also bridges this gap and... Uh, uh, clears clears out this fog about, you know, a lot of people might not know what designers do, but when you are sharing these things uh, openly, they kind of now know what, what do you do in your day-to-day work. And that uh, then they can also see the value in design. So it really helps that way, uh, making your work visible. Uh, it's not like you don't have to uh, you don't have to shove it up their throat every time. Uh, there are simple ways of doing it, like sharing this. People who are interested, they can always look at it, and uh, it it always helps if your CEO is is your biggest cheerleader. That is the case in uh, our company that our CEO really believes in design and he understands the value of design, so he's always pushing for it. And he was actually the one uh, who helped me out a lot in the beginning. So that always helps. So, so I, th- I think that finding people that can be like your uh, champions in different teams uh, really helps, especially in, uh, in high impact teams like uh, marketing, sales, or engineering, because if they see the value in design, they can obviously uh, do a lot more better job than you uh, in, in actually uh, sharing that, uh, sharing that values or insights with other people in their team. So that's one Makes part. Sense. Yeah. The second part, how do you grow the team? Uh, in our case, the way that our team is structured is that, uh, so I'm the head of design. Uh, I And since we are a small team, I still do 50-50, which means that uh, half of my time is spent managing the team and mentoring the team. And half of my time is spent doing the hands-on work uh, for product design because I originally started as a product designer and then we have a product designer who does the end to end product design work uh, we have a marketing designer who works very closely with the marketing team and we have a specialist role as well of a motion graphics and a video designer uh, he he works with all the different teams uh, he puts all the bells and whistles on the things that we do so uh, all of these roles were born out of needs uh, as and when we grew the team and we started to see that you know design is becoming a bottleneck in some of those things because initially it was just me doing everything, mm-hmm. and at there would come some point that I would not be able to do that, and then it becomes a bottleneck, and then we know that we have to now hire more people. So that is how we have grown our team. Uh uh, what we are uh so I can give you some idea about the uh, product structure. So We work in cross-functional teams at CMS. A cross-functional team is where uh, it would have a product manager, uh, some engineers, and a product designer. So who would be able to uh, work on features and uh, ship the features on their own independently? So what is happening right now is because we only have like one and a half product designers, so one full product designer and half is me. Mm -hmm. So we kind of split the product design work between us. Uh, but our goal would be to have, uh, one dedicated product designer in all the product teams. Uh, so we can, you know, get to that velocity of doing things. And, uh, that's the reason why we are hiring a senior product designer right now. Uh, the process is on. And I think soon we would also have a need to hire more designers because we are growing our product teams as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, And yeah, I think the the biggest ambassador of design is, uh, you know, probably not uh, yourself, but obviously, you know, other teams that you work with and um, by, you know, providing them value uh, and showing the value they can do. And I think it's good that you put some emphasis on transparency because actually that's an advantage of design, to be honest. It's actually way more difficult for a sales team, for like uh, an engineering team to make things very transparent compared to the, the, the role of the designer. So it's actually one of the things we are kind of gifted with is to make our work transparent, uh, make it accessible for people so people can see it and uh, document our work uh, in, in a visual f- uh, fashion. So, um, and yeah, we should make use of that. <laughs> Definitely.
0: And we can uh, take a lot of inspiration from our engineering friends in uh, this department. I think engineering is always like uh, at least a few years ahead. Uh, in any in any companies, because they are usually the first people to start uh, working at a startup, and you you would always see that how engineering matures. They would put a lot of emphasis on documentation and how they have these processes, meet uh, rituals, and different meetings. And uh, you can always take a lot of inspiration from them because slowly you would also be going into that uh, uh, into that direction as a design team. I still feel that uh, a design team would never be uh, of the same size as the engineering team, yeah. but and it's also not required. So y- you can always see like if the engineering team is like uh, number ten, uh, then you are at like number one, and you can always you-, you can always see how they progress, and then you can get some inspiration from them as well.
1: No, yeah, totally agree. Uh, and that ratio between engineering and design is also different between each product and, 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 and company, right? I would love to continue chatting with you, Dashan. I think we had a really good uh, conversation. I think you shared some great insights on working and getting uh, startup. I uh, think that are valuable to the audience. But I think we have to wrap it up because of time. So uh, considering that, thank you so much, uh, Dashan, for the conversation.
0: Yeah, it was fantastic uh, talking to you as well, Sebastian. Uh, I was looking forward to it. Uh, had a good time.
1: All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you give it a thumbs up. And let me know in the comments about taking me in a pause. What were the biggest learnings for you in the episode? I'm always super curious about that. If the episode provided you a lot of value, make sure to follow and subscribe and share it with friends or others, so they also have the chance to learn and grow themselves. All right, until next time. Cheers.